Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello, my fellow Believers, and welcome back to episode number 14 of Combat Bets on the Believe Network. I'm your host, Jason Barron, and thanks so much for joining me on another episode where we'll delve into what's going on not only in the UFC, but also in boxing, with Top Rank putting on a lot of decent fight cards and giving opportunities to fighters that usually wouldn't be on national TV on ESPN, but because of these pandemic times, they're getting that national TV exposure, and it's great to see that for guys where uh, boxing might just be their second job, and they hope to make it in that, but they have something to fall back on, as was the case for a preschool teacher that ended up getting a first-round knockout. It was really a, a nice thing to see, and uh, it shows you that in sport of boxing that it can be anyone's night on a, a given fight card, and that was the case for Gabriel Murataya, a preschool teacher, but also a boxer, and he gets another first-round knockout. That's three fights and uh, three KOs for Murataya. So just thought I'd shout out a lesser-known fighter like Gabriel Murataya, who's getting a chance to fight on uh, these top-ranked fight cards as they continue to try to uh, fill the cards uh, amid this pandemic. And they've done decently well. However, we did see that Jose Pedraza versus Mike LePierre, that was rescheduled for, I believe, beginning of July, and they were supposed to fight in the main event on June 18th, but that didn't end up happening, and that fight has been rescheduled as a main event fight coming up on Thursday, July 2nd, so we can look forward to that. And the reason the fight was postponed is because LePierre's manager ended up testing positive for COVID-19, so they had to call that fight off. However, in the main event, Gabriel Flores Jr. showed out pretty well against... Jose Ruiz as he ended up getting a unanimous decision win over the veteran and Flores is only 20 years old so he still has a lot of room to improve in his overall boxing game and he said that post fight he was dealing with a back injury so he wasn't quite at 100% he said he injured it I believe in the second round so he had to fight most of the fight uh, with a hampered back but he still was able to move really well and um, get a win over Ruiz. Flores was actually able to get a knockdown in the second round over Ruiz after he landed a nice left hook followed by a right hand that sent Ruiz to the canvas however he couldn't get the finish in part because he was hampered by that back injury but Flores Jr. still showed a lot of promise again only being 20 years old he's a prospect that could eventually make a title shot in this fight he came in at a little over 130 pounds 132 and a half pounds he came in for this fight so we'll see where his future is if it's at 135 but uh, Flores isn't quite ready for a title shot at this point in his career but he's definitely showing a lot of promise and uh, against a veteran like Ruiz even though he wasn't fighting at 100 percent he still showed I thought enough offensively and defensively to uh, perhaps warrant a title shot in a few years and we'll see who he gets matched up with next but uh, for Gabriel Flores he was the youngest prospect ever signed by top rank in uh, back in 2017 when he was still in high school 
And now at 20 years old, we see him uh, continuing on in his uh, promising boxing career. And although he's not as uh, great of a prospect as Shakur Stevenson, there's still a lot to look forward to for Flores. And he's overcoming a lot of odds, especially because his mother was murdered and he's had to deal with that loss, but he's not letting that stop him from achieving his goals in the ring. And uh, it's exciting to see him succeed. And making the move for Gabriel Flores from Stockton, California to Las Vegas, where he can get better training, uh, should be a good move for his career. And he's definitely a prospect worth keeping an eye on as he continues to progress in his career. And perhaps he could get matched up with another young fighter in Alex Salcedo, another promising prospect. I think it would be a great competitive fight between two guys that are uh, looking to move forward in their careers and are both very promising young fighters. And then another fight card I want to touch on for top rank was the main event between Michael Plania and Joshua Greer Jr. And really the difference in this fight was the overall size of Michael Plania against the shorter Greer Jr. Plania is five feet and a half with a 65 and a half inch reach while Greer Jr. is Five foot four with a 66 inch reach. Not only was Plania able to use his reach advantage and good boxing skills to get a majority decision win over Joshua Greer Jr., his whipping left hook put Greer Jr. down twice over the course of the fight and really showed that Plania could be a decent guy to look at in uh, his weight division and he got a big upset win over the uh, touted prospect in Greer Jr. and we'll see where Greer Jr. goes from here as this was a big learning experience for him that he's got to watch out for those left hooks because Plania absolutely planted them causing in some great 10-8 rounds for Plania that probably swung the decision in his favor as uh, it was a close fight, but I thought Plania was controlling more the center of the ring and he was able to use his reach and size to keep uh, the smaller Greer Jr. at bay. And really the only way that Greer was going to win this fight was to be really active and not fight at mid-range, but fight at close range where he could get more of his shots off. But he just didn't do that enough. He wasn't aggressive enough. And it resulted in only Greer Jr.'s second career loss. But there's no doubt that both Plania and Greer Jr. have very bright futures ahead of them. But they both have things they need to work on. And for Greer, it'll be a learning experience for him as he needs to be more aware of what's going on inside the ring and really needs to fight more at close range in order to have better success against bigger fighters like uh, he wasn't able to against Plania. And for Plania, it's the biggest win of his career, a main event on ESPN. And this Filipino fighter that used to have to wash cars for 10 cents a piece in the Philippines is now following that great boxing dream that he had that was inspired by the likes of Manny Pacquiao. And he looks to be hopefully following somewhat in his footsteps as Plania looks like a very big fighter for that small weight division. And I'm excited to see where he goes next for sure. And another upset that happened was this past Tuesday on June 23rd in the main event. Andrew Maloney, the favorite in the fight, took on Joshua Franco. 
at 115 pounds at super flyweight and it was Maloney's first fight in the U.S. as he is coming over from Australia and Franco ended up winning the fight by unanimous decision and he won the WBA regular super flyweight title so the biggest win in Franco's career coming off three epic fights against Oscar Negrete the future is very bright for Franco, who got a big upset win over the touted fighter in Maloney. And the main reason that Franco won was he was just more aggressive, and he showed to be a much better in-close fighter than uh, Maloney. Maloney should have really looked to keep his distance more and try to make this more of a mid-range fight. But he wasn't able to do that as the oncoming Franco was very aggressive and he even got a big knockdown of Maloney in the 11th round and that might have swung the scorecards in his favor even more with the 10-8 round coming uh, in the penultimate round of the fight in the 11th round but outside of that knockdown Franco was just uh, not really too worried about anything coming back on him. Uh, in terms of Maloney's punches and you could just see that Franco was the more devastating puncher in there he had the size advantage even at that low weight class and it's a great win and for Maloney he's got to go back to the drawing board see what he did wrong see what he can improve on and I saw uh, in the post fight news cycle that actually Maloney suffered some perforated eardrums so hopefully he gets back and he's healthy but for Franco it's the biggest win of his career in a main event slot on ESPN. Franco's definitely a fighter to watch out for and with this big win over a decent fighter in Maloney he set himself up for some big fights in the future maybe against a Roman Chocolatito Gonzalez or a Sora Sight Sorung Visai. We'll see what happens but there's no doubt with what Franco showed against Maloney that he has the size and the forward aggression needed to compete with most fighters in this low weight division. And for Maloney, this was a big time for him. He was coming to the U.S. from Australia expecting to put on a great performance, followed up by his twin brother who's fighting on Thursday, Andrew Maloney in the main event, so we'll see if his twin can be more successful. But it was meant to be two wins for the Maloney's and as they uh, made their U.S. debut. However, Joshua Franco put a pin in that storyline. And with this upset win, he's really set himself up for some big fights. And for Maloney, he's got to see if he can indeed compete and maybe match him up with Cal Yaffe, the fighter that most recently lost to Roman Gonzalez. I would love to see that for Maloney, get him in there against another decent opponent. And for Franco, he should be fighting for bigger titles very soon. And this was a great win for him as he gained a lot of exposure in the main event uh, this past Tuesday. Andrew Maloney threw 663 punches but only landed 191, while Joshua Franco threw 789 and landed 231 so a 40 punch advantage for Franco along with that big knockdown in the 11th round was enough to get the biggest win of his career 
And coming up on Thursday, June 25th, we have his brother Jason Maloney, actually his twin, fighting at 118 pounds against a short-notice opponent in Leandro Baez. And in order to have a better outcome than his twin, Andrew Maloney, Jason Maloney needs to be the quicker fighter in there, the more uh, active fighter in close range, and he really needs to be able to push the pace against the Mexican Leandro Baez. Maloney comes in with an impressive record of uh, 20 wins and one loss, and 17 of those wins have come by knockout, so you can tell he does have some power in his hands and he's very active. His only loss was a split decision loss to Manuel Rodriguez, and that was back in October of 2018. Maloney should be able to outclass Baez and get a win over him. I expect a late knockout by Maloney to get the win over Baez. Uh, I'll say a 10th round TKO win. And hopefully Jason Maloney can make it more of a successful trip to Vegas for these two fighting twins that are uh, quite talented, but it appears they're not quite as good as the Charlo twins. As we know, Jermel and Jamal Charlo are both very talented and possible opponents for Gennady Golovkin and Canelo Alvarez in the future, perhaps. And looking at the odds for this upcoming fight on Thursday, June 25th, Jason Maloney comes in as the big favorite at minus 1,000, while his opponent, Leandro Baez, comes in at plus 600. So it would be quite the upset if Baez got the win here. But I think Maloney can make it a better trip for them and get, as I said, the TKO win over Baez. So we'll see how that plays out. And I'm looking forward to that fight card on Thursday. Now moving on to another main event on Top Rank, which was this past Saturday. We had Emmanuel Navarrete taking on Uriel Lopez in the main event back on June 20th, and that was from Mexico City. The first fight card put on from Mexico City. All the others were from Las Vegas in the top rank bubble that they have going on there at the MGM Grand. Navarrete ended up winning this fight by six-round TKO over a very overmatched opponent in Uriel Lopez. And what's really impressive about this specific performance is that Navarrete got off to kind of a slow start, not throwing that many punches, as he was just trying to get in his feel for the other fighter inside the ring. But once he got going, he boxed with such fluidity, with such combination punching, with such aggression and come forward style that there really isn't anything like it in the sport of boxing. And once Navarrete gets going, he's like a whirling dervish and you can't really do anything to stop him other than hopefully dodge out of too many of his punches. But Uriel Lopez wasn't able to do that and only took him six rounds to get that win and really only about two or three rounds of really pushing the pace and throwing a lot of punches. So this just shows me that Navarrete is very tall for his weight class and he has extreme an extremely long reach uh, that he was absolutely blessed with. And it, he has a 72 inch reach and he stands five foot seven and he's fighting at flyweight 
uh, super bantamweight and featherweight. And for him to have these inherent physical advantages of height and reach uh, against opponents that are usually much shorter than him and more compact and will also have a, a shorter reach, it just gives him a lot of advantages on top of him being a beautiful boxer that's able to throw fluid combinations together. Navarrete is going to be very hard to beat for anyone, and he says he wants guys like Nawa Inoue and Luis Neri, and I would love to see him take on Inoue because I think that would be a competitive fight, but there's really no one in his weight class that can match him in terms of physical size and height and also his reach. Navarrete is just going to have those advantages going into pretty much any matchup that uh, he faces. For example, in his past fight against Uriel Lopez, Emmanuel Navarrete is 25, five foot seven. Uh, he came in at 127 pounds with a 72-inch reach. His opponent Lopez is also 25 years old, but he's five foot six, 127 pounds, and a 64-inch reach. So that's a one-inch height advantage for Navarrete and an eight-inch reach advantage, which is pretty ridiculous and is kind of the case whenever Navarrete gets in the ring against these shorter, more compact opponents. And then you look at the punch stats for uh, their fight. Remember, it only lasted six rounds, and guess how many punches Navarrete threw? 571, and he landed 190. His opponent, Lopez, through 252 and only landed 49. The fact that Navrete threw 571 punches in a fight that didn't even go six rounds means he was basically throwing around 100 punches around, which is absolutely ridiculous. Plus, he remember, he got off to a slow start in that fight and he picked it up as the rounds went on. So that just shows you that the insane work rate that Navrete is able to put forth inside the ring. And he really is one of the most exciting boxers in the whole sport. And whenever Navrete uh, fights, it really is must-see television. And he did not disappoint uh, in his native Mexico this past Saturday. So I hope you were able to catch that fight. And if you weren't, make sure to catch the replay. And then also before on that fight card, Sergio Sanchez landed a beautiful left uppercut one of the knockouts of the year and his opponent was absolutely frozen on the ground it was beautiful so if you haven't seen that knockout check out Sergio Sanchez's knockout because it is absolutely highlight real stuff from that guy incredible for Navarrete also known as El Vaquero the cowboy the future is very very uh, bright for this young Mexican boxer and Navarrete looks like a future Mexican boxing star and hopefully he gets those big names to fight him in the ring because in this sport you build your name based off the other opponents that you fight so he's got to get some bigger names in there in order to grow his star power but there's no doubt that Navarrete is going to be very hard to beat for anyone and really his star making performances came against Isaac Dogbo where he beat him twice to uh, to win the title and then to defend his title. And uh, he's a future multi-division champ. And it'll be interesting to see as he progresses in his career which weight class he ends up uh, sticking with. So with those recaps, I believe I have completed all of the recaps for the top rank, the recent top rank cards, along with a preview of the upcoming fight between Maloney and Baez coming up 
on Thursday, so make sure to tune into that fight card as Top Rank continues to put on great fights during these challenging times. So you gotta really give it up to Bob Arum for being able to put the bubble in place in uh, the MGM Grand uh, at their facility, and he's being able to hold fights there every Tuesday and Thursday, and then also Saturday. So it's been a really full schedule of boxing, which is really great for the sport. And hopefully we see some bigger stars come back. I'm really hoping to see Terrence Crawford in there once again. He is just a special fighter, and uh, I expect nothing but greatness whenever Crawford enters the ring. So I'm excited to see when his next fight will be. And on June 27th, upcoming this Saturday, we have Miguel Berchelt versus Eliezer Valenzuela, 10 rounds, junior lightweights, and that will be for Mexico City. Berchelt is one of the best boxers in his weight class, and he's been talked about as a possible future opponent for Shakur Stevenson. And I really have no doubt that Berchelt will beat Valenzuela and most likely by knockout. I'm going to say a six-round TKO win for Berchelt. He's just a very devastating puncher. He's very punishing to fight against as he's a really come-forward fighter, and he really has a lot of power uh, in both hands as he's shown uh, with great knockout wins and really overwhelming performances as a, his opponents cannot uh, survive the pressure that Berchelt puts on them. Berchelt is 5'7 with a 71 and a half inch reach and he's 28 years old and looking at his boxing record he has 37 wins and one loss and 33 of those wins have come by knockout so he has a very high knockout percentage with only four decision wins actually three decision wins in his career and one win by disqualification. His most recent win came over Jason Sosa, a KO in the fourth round, and that was back in November of 2019, where he retained his WBC Super Featherweight title. And I expect nothing but come-forward action from Berchelt against an overmatched opponent once again in Valenzuela, so that's why I'm going to pick him to get the knockout here. And hopefully Berchelt gets matched up with more competitive fights in the future because he is a very special fighter that is capable of winning uh, most fights, I believe, and he just needs uh, another great opponent to really push him and uh, see how good Perchelt really is. So thus far in the top-ranked boxing cards, probably the top boxers that we've seen are Emmanuel Neverete, Shakur Stevenson, and then of course coming up this Saturday, Miguel Perchelt. I would say right now those are the three best boxers we've had the pleasure of seeing and hopefully Top Rank can get more of their bigger fighters on these fight cards coming up in these busy summer months for uh, Top Rank Boxing. And then on June 30th from ESPN uh, uh, from Las Vegas we have Alex Sacedo taking on Sonny Fredrickson 10 rounds junior welterweight and if Sacedo looks good here he could set himself up with a matchup against Gabriel Flores Jr. in the future, but he's really got to uh, put on a great performance coming up, as I said, on June 30th. And if he does, he could set himself up for bigger fights. Uh, 
and I expect he will get the win against Fredrickson. I'm not too familiar with his opponent, so I'm going to pick Saucedo here to get a unanimous decision win over his opponent, Fredrickson. So we'll see how uh, that fight plays out. And then don't forget, on July 2nd, we have the rescheduled fight that was originally scheduled for uh, June 18th. We have Jose Pedraza taking on Mikel LePierre, 10 rounds, junior welterweights. And I think I'm going to have to go with Pedraza here. He's more of the no-name. I believe he has more power in his punches. And LePierre claims to be a very slick boxer. But watching some of his tape, he doesn't impress me all that much. But he definitely could get the upset win over Pedraza. So I can't say I'm that confident in my pick of Pedraza. But I am going to have to go with him just because he is the more known fighter. And I believe he uh, can indeed outclass LePierre coming up on uh, July 2nd. So those are some uh, fight cards to look forward to. And I hope you enjoyed my recap of uh, the recent boxing matches on Top Rank. And continue to tune into ESPN for more of those fight cards as we not only have the UFC back, but of course also some boxing. Now moving on from boxing and back into the UFC, let me recap a few fights before I get into a preview of this Saturday's upcoming fight between Dustin Poirier and Dan Hooker. On June 13th from the UFC Apex in Las Vegas, Nevada, we had UFC Fight Night I versus Calvillo, and let me start with the co-main event there on that fight card, and we had Carl Robertson taking on Marvin Vittori, Robertson an American fighter, while Vittori uh, represents Italy, and Vittori ended up getting the win here, pretty much dominating the proceedings. Robertson only landed 4 out of 16 total strikes, while Vittori landed 60 out of 79 total strikes, and he had 2 minutes and 5 seconds of ground control time, and he was able to get um, a finish here, a first round finish, a rear naked choke over Robertson, and it was an impressive performance for Vittori, uh, fighting 185 pounds at middleweight, and Vittori uh, is 15-4-1, and and his most recent loss came to Israel Adesanya, the current champion, at middleweight by split decision. So the fact that he fought Adesanya very closely in their competitive fight, and then followed that up with some great wins, along with his most recent win against Robertson, as I said, a first-round rear naked choke win for Vittori, it shows that Vittori is definitely an up-and-coming middleweight, and he just came out very aggressive against Robertson, wasn't really too concerned with any punishment coming back at him from his opponent, and the fact that he was able to get him on the ground and uh, use his striking to set up uh, a beautiful chokehold shows that not only is he an aggressive fighter, but he is also a thinking fighter, able to put together a beautiful submission and really make a statement as he looks to uh, perhaps get a title shot one day against Adesanya in the future. So we'll see what happens for for uh, Vittori there, but a very great performance for him against Robertson. And uh, before the fight, there was some anim- animosity between these two fighters, some disrespect going on because... Uh, Vittori had 
problems with Robertson uh, unable to make weight or maybe not wanting to fight him. However, the fight eventually did happen, and Vittori said he was going to make him pay for um, his unprofessionalism, as uh, he put it, and Vittori indeed did make Robertson pay and uh, really embarrassed him as uh, Vittori is uh, definitely an up-and-coming middleweight and uh, a fighter to definitely keep an eye on as he continues in his career. And then in the main event, we had uh, Jessica I taking on Cynthia Calvillo. And as I said in my preview for this specific fight, I thought that Cynthia Calvillo would have the advantage on the ground and just be the quicker grappler and really be able to control I in terms of uh, the grappling exchanges. And that is indeed what happened as Calvillo ended up with five minutes and four seconds of ground control time over the course of a five round unanimous decision win over I 47-48. 46 49 and 46 49 on the judges scorecards giving a big win to Calvillo as she made the move up to 125 pounds uh, up from 115 which she was fighting before and it seems like Calvillo had no trouble in uh, making this move up in weight and uh, perhaps she'll fight Shevchenko in the near future but I really think Shevchenko would still beat her because I just think she's at a different level than most women in women's MMA and really the only fighter I could see giving Shevchenko a very competitive fight would be Amanda Nunes but if that doesn't happen and Calvillo does indeed fight Shevchenko she uh, would indeed deserve that title shot as Jessica I was the number one contender at 125 pounds but having beat I it seems like Calvillo could indeed get that next title shot but I don't think she's quite ready in terms of her skill level to fight a great champion like Shevchenko but really nobody is let's be honest in that 125 pound division and looking at the fight stats for this uh, fight I landed 70 out of 283 total strikes while Calvillo landed 150 out of 294 total strikes So not only was Calvillo winning the grappling exchanges and able to maintain top position, she was also outstriking I, which you figure I might have a slight advantage in the striking department, but that didn't happen as Calvillo significantly outlanded her as she was able to be quicker to the punch in the exchanges and really showed some great uh, counter-punching. And uh, I think she's still a a growing fighter, still of a fighter that's still improving so Calvillo definitely can still get better and I really liked her performance against I as I thought she was the quicker and more explosive fighter and that's why she ended up getting a big decision win over I and I think for Jessica I she's really got to work on her speed and her timing because she really didn't seem to be that quick in the fight she was definitely the slower fighter and the fact that she was outstruck on the feet and then so so easily taken down by Calvillo really exposed her weaknesses and also showed that Calvillo is definitely a woman's fighter to keep an eye on and getting back to Amanda Nunes she announced that she is considering retirement I mean what really more does Nunes have to prove in the sport she's already beaten the best uh, women's fighters in MMA of all time and she came out on top and absolutely destroyed them And then she's coming off a unanimous decision win over a very tough Felicia Spencer in which she absolutely dominated her 
throwing her down like a rag doll and out landing her on the feet. I mean, Nunes, as I said before in my previous podcast, I believe is the most dominant athlete in their respective sport, male or female, in all of the sports, I would say right now. And there's really no one I could see beating Nunes at this point in time. So if she does indeed retire, she'll no doubt retire as the GOAT in women's MMA. And what a great career it has been for her. But I really hope she doesn't retire because I'm a huge fan of Nunes. I'm just very impressed with her overall MMA skills because she really doesn't have any glaring weaknesses. And when you watch sports, you yearn to watch for the great fighters to see what greatness really looks like. And when you watch Nunes, you know you're watching greatness. Just like when you watched a prime Anderson Silva or a prime Jose Aldo or a prime Dominic Cruz, you knew you were watching just otherworldly talent. And when you saw them start to fade, that's when they started to look more and more human. But with Nunes, she has not started to fade. She is still her old dominant self. And I'd love to see her fight more in the UFC but I can also understand why she is considering retirement as she does have a baby on the way uh, with her fiance. So I'm sure she's going to want to spend a lot of time with her family, but hopefully she gets that yearning, that itch to get back into the octagon and deliver some more punishment against her next opponent. Now, moving on from that fight card and back uh, into the next week's fight card on June 20th from the UFC Apex in Las Vegas, Nevada, we had UFC Fight Night Blades versus Volkov, and in the co-main event, we had Josh Emmett taking on Shane Burgos. Emmett ended up winning the fight by unanimous decision. This was a featherweight fight at 145 pounds, and Josh Emmett, the slight underdog, ended up getting a unanimous decision win, 29-28, 29-28, and 29-27 on the judges' scorecards over the course of three rounds. It really was fight of the night performance from both fighters, a truly exciting fight, and one of the fights of the year so far in the UFC, a definitely an instant classic in the featherweight division between two absolute warriors that did not want to stop coming forward and did not want to stop throwing punches and kicks. And you look at the total strikes, Emmett landed 136 out of 275 total strikes, while Burgos landed 148 out of 270 total strikes. And then you look at the control time, really most of this fight was contested on the feet, but Emmett did end up having a minute and 24 seconds of ground control time. And Burgos threw a lot more leg kicks as uh, he landed 40 of 44 strikes to the leg, where Emmett only landed uh, 13 out of 13 strikes to the leg. And something that I noticed with Burgos that he really should look to improve if he does really want to be an elite fighter in the sport is he tends to fight with his head really pushed forward. I don't know if that's necessarily because of his body type, but I'm noticing that he's getting hit with a lot of unnecessary punches because he's always leaning forward with his head. And you could see Emmett was more balanced and uh, more 
measured in his approach and you could see he was really thinking the fight out instead of just reacting to what Burgos was doing and that's why he was able to knock down Burgos twice with some uh, one of them I believe was a left hook and Burgos was really looking for the right hook that Emmett was landing earlier in the fight but Emmett did something absolutely beautiful. You could see he was really thinking the fight because he faked with the right and came with the left and Burgos never saw the left hook coming because he was expecting it to come from the right side. So that's just something in Emmett's game that we're seeing as he's evolving into a better fighter that he's able to surprise opponents with uh, surprise tactics like a left hook that his opponent didn't see coming as was the case against Shane Burgos. And uh, that was, that's what allowed Emmett to floor Berg, Burgos during the course of the fight. He wasn't able to finish him, but the fact that he knocked him down with a punch really uh, set him apart in a very close fight. But I agree with the decision, as I did think Emmett did indeed get the better of Burgos overall. And as I was saying before, Burgos really fights with his head forward and was really taking a lot of unnecessary punishment. And then you look at the head strikes. Emmett landed 98 out of 232 total head strikes, while Burgos landed 68 out of 174 head strikes. So a 30 uh, head strike advantage for Emmett, in part because Burgos was leaning his head forward too much. And he's really got to change his fighting tactics if, if Burgos doesn't want to be just known as a brawler, but also a great fighter that's capable of great offense and defense. So if Burgos can make this change in his fighting style, then perhaps he can indeed improve on this performance and win against the likes of Josh Emmett in the future. But he, it wasn't his night, and Emmett absolutely showed out. And what made this performance even more impressive from Emmett is that basically he was fighting on one leg because very early on in the first round it seemed like Emmett hyperextended his knee and he said post-fight he believed he had a torn ACL so the fact that Emmett went three rounds against an absolute savage like Burgos and was able to get the decision win over him despite possibly having a torn ACL, shows you what an absolute warrior, what a fighter Emmett is to be able to fight through that pain, that instability in his knee, and still get the win over Burgos in what was an absolutely great featherweight fight. And if you have not seen that fight, tune in because it was no doubt fight of the night uh, this past Saturday. So moving on from that great fight. We had a heavyweight main event between Curtis Blades and Alexander Volkov. Looking at the fight stats for this fight and uh, the striking, Blades landed 116 out of 163 total strikes and Volkov landed 127 out of 177 total strikes. And then you look at the ground control time here Blades had 19 minutes and 50 seconds of ground control time, while Volkov only had 45 seconds. And then you look at the takedown attempts. Blades had 14 out of 25 successful takedown attempts, while Volkov was only one of two on his takedown attempts. And uh, the unanimous decision win over Volkov went as followed. 48-46, 48-47 and 49-46, 
all for the winner by unanimous decision, Curtis Blades. And it went the full five rounds, and that means it went 25 minutes. And out of those 25 minutes, 19 minutes and 50 seconds of ground control time for Curtis Blades. Obviously, that means that a majority of this fight was contested on the ground. And you could just see very early on in this fight that Blades was at a completely different level of wrestling than Volkov. And Volkov wasn't really able to defend Curtis Blades' takedowns with really any efficiency or effectiveness as he was taking down 14 times over the course of the fight, a heavyweight UFC record for Blades there. So great job by Blades getting the record there. But it wasn't a very exciting fight. And I thought that Blades really should have looked to strike more to see how good he is indeed on his feet. As Volkov was having some more success on the feet. But the fact that uh, Blades would set up his takedowns with striking shows that he knows where his bread is buttered. He knows what his strengths are and that is indeed wrestling. But if Blades gets in there against the elite heavyweights uh, with better wrestling skills... The tactic that Blades used against Volkov of constantly going for takedowns and trying to make it a grappling match may not work so well for him. So for Blades, he doesn't really have to improve on his wrestling too much, it would seem. But he definitely needs to improve on his stamina and his striking because he was very out of breath in the post-fight interview. And he didn't really show too much striking capabilities against Volkov feeling much more comfortable, obviously, on the ground. So that's where I would say Blades needs to improve on in order to perhaps get a title shot in the future in the heavyweight division. There's no doubt that Blades is a very talented heavyweight, but he didn't have the most impressive and dominated performance against Volkov. It was basically a pretty boring fight with a lot of grappling exchanges. And someone made the mention that Curtis Blades is kind of like the Khabib Nurmagomedov of the heavyweights, always trying to wrestle and control his opponents from top position. And watching the fight against Volkov, it really did resemble some of uh, Khabib's fights as he's able to control his opponents so easily on the ground, and he's always a step ahead of them. And while Blades isn't quite at the level of wrestling that Khabib is, there are some similarities between those two fighters. And if you're a big grappling fan, then make sure to watch the replay of Blades vs. Volkov. But if you're a big striking fan, skip it and make sure to watch Shane Burgos vs. Josh Emmett. Absolute fight of the night, one of the best fights in the UFC so far this year. So that'll conclude my recap for UFC Fight Night, Blades vs. Volkov. Now let me get into my preview of this Saturday's upcoming fight card between Dustin Poirier and Dan Hooker. Coming up on June 27th from the UFC Apex in Las Vegas, Nevada, their last event in Las Vegas before they go to Fight Island, Yas Island in Abu Dhabi for a few fight cards in July. So really looking forward to Fight Island. But before that, they have to take care of UFC Fight Night, Poirier vs. Hooker. As I said, from the UFC Apex in Las Vegas, Nevada. Main card starts on ESPN and ESPN Plus at 5 p.m. Pacific time. And the prelims start on ESPN and ESPN Plus at 2 p.m. Pacific time. 
And in the co-main event, we have Platinum Mike Perry taking on Mickey Gall. And uh, it's a welterweight fight. And Perry is the favorite at minus 320, while Gall comes back as the underdog at plus 260. Mike Perry is 28 years old. He's 5'10", 170 pounds, with a 71-inch reach, while his opponent, Mickey Gall, is... 28 years old, 170 pounds, with a height of 6 foot 2 and a reach of 74 inches. So Gall will have the height and reach advantage against Mike Perry, but I believe that Perry should still win this fight as he is the favorite. Looking at Perry's MMA record, he is 13 and 6 with 13 wins, 11 by knockout, and 2 by decision. And his losses have come 1 by knockout, 1 by submission, and 4 by decision. And Perry is coming off a TKO head kick and punches defeat to Geoff Neal in the first round. And that was back in December of 2019. So quite the layoff for uh, Mike Perry there. And I'm sure he's excited to get back into the octagon and face a guy in Mickey Gall, who is a talented fighter, but I believe that Perry should have the power advantage and the speed advantage against Gall, as uh, Perry is quite the imposing figure in the octagon, full of muscles, and I don't know if Gall has quite enough speed or the wrestling stamina or the striking power to really stay with him over the course of three rounds, but it should be a very competitive fight. Mickey Gall's record is 6-2 with 5 wins by submission and 1 by decision. And then 2 losses, 1 by knockout and 1 by decision. He's coming off a unanimous decision win over Salim Torahai. And that was back in August of 2019. So nearly uh, like a 10th month layoff basically for... Mickey Gall, so I'm sure he's really excited to get back in the octagon as well. But he's going to have a tough time against Mike Perry, who I believe will have the speed advantage, the power advantage. And while Perry will have the height and reach disadvantages, I don't think that'll be enough to keep him from putting the forward pressure on Gall and perhaps even getting the finish there. So I'm going to say Perry wins this fight by a third round TKO. I just think that uh, Perry wins. Usually he wins by knockout as evidenced by his record. And I think that'll be the case against Gall here. So I'm going to go with Perry to get the late TKO win in the third round. You're going to really want to tune into that fight. Because whenever uh, Mike Perry enters the octagon, he's usually putting on exciting fights coming forward with a lot of aggression, a lot of power. And that's what I expect from him. Uh, And in a fanless atmosphere, I've noticed you can really hear the cornermen and what they're saying, the advice they're giving to their fighters. So that's an unexpected kind of silver lining to these fanless atmospheres as the UFC continues to put on fight cards. Perry also has a significant experience advantage over Gall, and that should serve him well. Even though they're the same age, Perry has been fighting for longer, and he's fought tougher opponents than Gall in the past. And while he is coming off a loss 
actually two straight losses for Perry. I believe he can get back on the winning track against a fighter like uh, Mickey Gall. Now moving on to the main event. It is a lightweight main event at 155 pounds between Dustin Poirier and Dan Hooker. This is a huge fight for for both lightweights at 155 pounds as they really want to look to make a name for themselves in that division. And Poirier already fought for the title against Khabib, of course losing to him by submission as no one can really beat Khabib as he's just at a different level of grappling than most other humans on this earth, let alone the other UFC fighters that really have no chance as he controls them like a ragdoll really have no trouble uh, you know, winning the fight on the ground, does Khabib. And that was the case when he fought Dustin Poirier for the title. And of course, Khabib won. So while Poirier might not be the best lightweight, he is definitely very elite, which is indeed why he did get that um, title shot against Khabib. And the fact that Dustin Poirier also beat Justin Gaethje, the guy that's next scheduled to fight Khabib, shows you just what a great fighter Poirier is. And looking at his measurables, Poirier is 5'9", 155 pounds. Uh, He's 31 years old with a 72-inch reach. His opponent, Dan Hooker, a fighter from New Zealand, is 6 feet, 155 pounds, and he has a 75-inch reach, and he's 30 years old. So, obviously... We see that Dan Hooker will have the height and reach advantages going into the fight against Poirier, but I don't think he will have the experience or the power advantage. And you look at the odds for this fight, Poirier checks in as a minus 240 favorite, while Hooker is a plus 200 underdog. So clearly the odds makers see Poirier winning the fight. And I think he will indeed get the win over Dan Hooker. And I'm going to say it's a late knockout. Let's say a fourth round TKO victory for uh, Poirier here over Hooker. I just think he has the experience advantage. He has the stamina advantage. And if uh, Poirier ends up getting lit up a little bit on the feed and getting outlanded, I think he'll be able to take Hooker down to the ground and grapple him without really too much trouble. I see Poirier pretty much dominating on the ground as Hooker really isn't known as that much of a wrestler. He's really known as an expert striker and if he can indeed land that devastating blow on Poirier then he could get the knockout uh, and the upset win over Poirier but I think Poirier is a very disciplined fighter and he's fought guys like Justin Gaethje in the past like Khabib and done well been competitive against them. So I think the same will be said when he fights Dan Hooker, but I'm going to give Dustin Poirier the edge there in terms of experience and overall fight IQ. And looking at Poirier's MMA record, he has 25 wins, 6 losses, and 1 no contest. And out of those 25 wins, 12 are by knockout, 7 by submission, and 6 by decision. So this shows you that Poirier can win in any number of ways and I believe he could indeed submit Dan Hooker or indeed get a knockout win against him. As I really don't see this fight going the distance but it's going to be a very competitive and close fight so you're going to want to tune in because this uh, lightweight main event is uh, one of the strongest 
fights that we've seen on the schedule since the UFC has made its return back in May. And Poirier really has been quite on a roll here in terms of his fights before, of course, getting submitted via rear naked choke by Khabib. And that was in the third round of their lightweight title fight. And that was back in uh, September of 2019. But before losing to Khabib, he beat Max Holloway by unanimous decision. He beat Eddie Alvarez by TKO punches in the second round. He beat Justin Gaethje by TKO punches in the fourth round. He beat Anthony Submission by Submission Body Triangle in the third round. So, some very impressive wins. The best wins of uh, Dustin Poirier's career so far, really. That song beat great fighters in uh, Justin Gaethje, Anthony Pettis, Eddie Alvarez, and Max Holloway. So, I'm going to go ahead and say that Dan Hooker is not in the same class of fighters as Max Holloway or Justin Gaethje, two fighters that uh, Dustin Poirier was indeed able to beat. And I think the same will be said when he fights Dan Hooker. I just think that Dustin Poirier has that dog in him, that dogged determination to not lose, to push himself. And he's really shown himself to be a really great fighter in those wins over elite guys in Gaethje and Holloway. And although he couldn't quite beat Khabib, Really, nobody can beat Khabib, so you can't fault Poirier too much for that. And I expect him to have a great performance against Dan Hooker and really make a statement to perhaps get another title shot against Khabib in the future. But we'll see how the fight plays out. Dan Hooker is definitely a very lethal striker and could indeed land an unorthodox strike that puts Poirier down. But if that doesn't happen, I expect Poirier to be the stronger fighter the bigger fighter in terms of build, not in terms of height, but in terms of strength and uh, stamina. I expect Poirier to be the stronger fighter in those respects. And because of that and his experience in getting big wins, he should be coming into this fight very confident against a hungry, hungry fighter like Dan Hooker. And looking at Hooker's MMA record, he has 20 wins and 8 losses. Out of those 20 wins, 10 have come by knockout, 7 by submission, and 3 by decision. So that shows you that Hooker can get it done on the feet or on the ground. And his last submission win came back in uh, 2017. And since then, uh, he's got some KO wins over Gilbert Burns, Jim Miller, uh, James Vick, and then two decision wins over Paul Felder and Al Iaquinta. His last loss came to Edson Barbosa uh, via TKO body punch in the third round, and that was back in 2018. So he hasn't lost since 2018, but he also hasn't faced a fighter um, quite at the caliber of uh, Dustin Poirier. And while he did get a very impressive knockout over Gilbert Burns that was back at a uh, lightweight and Gilbert Burns has now moved up to 170 pounds and will be challenging of course Kamara Usman for his title uh, there so we'll see how that fight plays out but looking at um, Hooker's record he hasn't fought anyone 
that's uh, quite going to give him the same problems that Dustin Poirier will. So that's why I'm going to go with Poirier here to get the big win over Hooker and perhaps make a statement that he does indeed deserve another title shot against Khabib. So make sure to tune in to UFC Fight Night, Poirier vs. Hooker, a matchup of two top lightweights at 155 pounds. And the winner of this fight could end up getting the winner of Khabib vs. Gaethje. We'll see how uh, the lightweight division plays itself out. But uh, it's a pretty strong fight card. And tune in to the UFC on uh, Saturday, June 27th. And then uh, check back as, uh, of course, we have on July 11th a big fight card from Abu Dhabi Fight Island. So I'll be previewing that in my next episode. So make sure to tune in to episode number 15 of Combat Bets whenever I do get a chance to release it. Thank you so much for listening. This concludes episode number 14 of Combat Bets on the Believe Network. I'm your host, Jason Barron. Kobe forever, Mamba forever, no justice, no peace. Please, everyone, stay safe out there. Continue to social distance. I know you guys may be getting tired of this coronavirus, but it's not going away anytime soon. And it's concerning to me that I'm seeing spikes in cases because maybe people aren't taking the proper protocols. So please bear that in mind when you are going out in public. And please stay safe. Stay healthy and have a great weekend and enjoy the upcoming fights in both boxing and the UFC. Thank you so much for listening and check back for my next episode. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.